This is Dr. Charles Parker, and you're listening to Core Brain Journal. It's a place where I connect both fresh discoveries and interesting different perspectives from advanced mind science with the realities of real people and everyday life down on Main Street. Well, welcome, folks. This is Dr. Charles Parker once again at Core Brain Journal, and we have a very, very interesting person to speak to today. Uh, he's an individual who is very deeply involved with the issues of combat stress. And um, yeah, I live in a military town out here in Virginia Beach. Uh, he's on the West Coast, is very involved with uh, recovery and combat stress issues. Uh, Dr. Bart Billings, welcome aboard, Bart. We're really happy to talk to you. Oh, thank you, Chuck. So I'm going to do a brief intro, and then we'll find out a little bit about you, and then we're going to go into your very interesting book, which has just become the number one bestseller at Amazon. So Dr. Billings has been working in the fields of human mental health uh, and program development management for over 49 years. He has licenses in clinical psychology, marriage and family therapy, and has past experience as a certified rehab counselor. He also has a credential as a community college counselor and was an Elkins Award recipient as Counselor of the Year in California. In February 2014, he received the International Human Rights Award in Los Angeles from the Citizens Commission on Human Rights. In addition, he is going to be awarded soon the Frank O'Hara Award at the University of Scranton for his dedication to the Jesuit philosophy of serving others. I've had a great time warming up talking to you. Uh, it's been really interesting, Bart. And I'm looking forward to, could you tell us a little bit about yourself personally before we get into your mission? Uh, sure. I, uh, I was born in Brooklyn and raised in uh, northeastern Pennsylvania, a little town called Dunmore. And uh, wound up graduating from high school when I was 16. And uh, my mother, coming from a large uh, Italian ancestry family, I was the first of five. I, and I'm going to tell this story when I speak at the University of Scranton this weekend. Uh, where else in this country can your mother take you by the hand to speak to the dean of admission and say, my son is going to this Jesuit college? And that's how it all started. Uh, you know, I was in the Boy Scouts. I was an Eagle Scout. I was, you know, Explorer Scout. But the Jesuits made a big impact in my life, and uh, I got my bachelor's and uh, master's degree there. And coincidentally, besides the Frank O'Hara Award, uh, this weekend is going to be our 50th uh, reunion. All of the different classes are having reunions there, uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And I'm going to be speaking and doing book signing at the ROTC reunion. Uh, actually, my several of my friends uh, uh, went on from the university directly to Vietnam. So that's kind of where it all started, and uh, I wound up working. Uh, I, I got my master's in uh, physical medicine, rehabilitation, psychology, which is kind of unusual because we had a complete PM&R center in Scranton. At the time, it was called Allied Services or the Handicap, where we trained and got a lot of medi our medical training there, and uh, went on. And uh, uh, when I graduated from there, wound up getting a 1A in the mail, and Uncle Sam said, you know, we really need you before you get your doctorate, and I wound up training as a combat engineer, 
uh, got a direct commission, wound up retiring uh, as a colonel, and uh, spent 34 years in the military. Now, my first experience working with what they call at the time Vietnam post-traumatic stress disorder uh, was at Tripler Hospital in the mid-70s when a lot of our troops coming back from Vietnam were experiencing problems. And at that point in my career, uh, I was studying uh, reality therapy under Dr. William Glasser, who's renowned uh, psychiatrist, psychologist, world known. And I didn't know at the time in the early 70s, 73, when I started studying uh, under him, uh, that uh, we would be lifelong friends from 73 right until his death about a year ago, and he would be my mentor. And uh, that made a big difference in my life because that was a Judeo Christian approach. Uh, training to uh, working with people and helping people make better choices and assume responsibility. So that's kind of, you know, the, the, the foundation. The foundation is coming from a large, um, you know, family, very supportive, uh, parents that were supportive. Everybody worked real hard in the family. Everybody worked with each other. You know, the college, the Jesuits. I remember when I was in basic training, uh, you know, crawling around the mud and, and disarming mines and building bridges. Somebody said, this is really hard. These drill sergeants, they don't let up on you. I said, it's nothing. I went to a Jesuit college. There's no excuses in Jesuit colleges. You, you know, you miss three classes, you get an F, uh, and you could have 20 feet of snow. It doesn't matter. And that's kind of, you know, the foundation. But serving others, you know, I've, I've been uh, at the medical school at UC Davis. I wound up going in there as a chief of psychosocial vocational services in PM&R and actually wound up running PM&R after nine months and ran everything, PTOT, speech, orthotics, prosthetics, et cetera. Now, one of the things that you need to realize, and most people don't, after World War I in 1920, uh, you know, 1919, 1920, mm -hmm. there were a lot of veterans on the streets and they had all kinds of disabilities. And Congress, and its infinite wisdom at the time, said, you know something, we need to take care of these people. And they passed the Smith-Fess Act, which was National Vocational Rehab Act, to get these people, rehabilitate them, and put them in to job training and get them back into our society as functioning members of society. That was in 1920. In 1937, the specialty that ran PM&R was ad ad adopted by the American Medical Association with the specialty, and it was called physiatry. That's physical medicine, rehabilitation, medical doctor. Physiatrist means physical physician. They became the experts. They were actually born of war. And I'm telling you this because uh, it's going to bring us up to today where Physiatry is underutilized, and a lot of people with traumatic brain injuries, uh, people that are suffering all kinds of physical and emotional problems, are being referred to the wrong people. They're not being referred to physiatrists, and physiatrists has kind of let down their profession because they're not standing up for where they were born. Mm -hmm. So that kind of gives you an idea. I started... Uh, the International Combat Stress Conference uh, after the first Persian Gulf War when I was a hospital commander. Uh, and that has now grown to be the longest-running conference in combat stress in the world and the gold standard. We just did 23 years. Uh, so there's a lot of things uh, that has transpired over, over my career, but that's kind of the, the basic kinds of things. 
Well, you know, to bond a little bit, and it's a little trivial, but um, I'm an Eagle Scout with God and Country myself, did Explorers, you know. It's interesting because I consider myself a non-recovering Boy Scout. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> Maybe that's the answer. That's why my wife says, why are you doing all these things? Yeah, right. that's, I'll tell her that now. I'm non-recovering Boy Scout. <laughs> you can't get it out of your system, you know. No, you really can't. I mean, you're going to cross the street whether you want to or not. (laughs) So I want to have, if you would take a moment, we're going to have a drawing for your book, Invisible, pardon me, Invisible Scars, How to Treat Combat Stress and PTSD Without Medications, a number one bestseller on Amazon. We're going to have a drawing here, and the way people can get it is they can type in corebrainjournal.com forward slash 031 drawing, all one, all together, 031 drawing. And that'll put, and it's only going to be open for two weeks after we post this. And Bart, I'd like to tell you when it's going to be posted. I really don't know. It's going to be about two months from now, I think. But Cool. So, so tell us a little bit about that book because I am terribly interested, and I know many of people in our audience are very, very interested in, in the book. Well, what happened uh, after you know, running this combat stress conference for 23 years, we had speakers from the first year uh, that were tops in their field, and and it grew where people would come in to talk on combat stress-related problems from all over the world, uh, Europe, Asia, et cetera. Uh, we had people from the military. We had people from the FBI, the CIA. I mean, we had all different kinds of people speaking, and I'm, and I'm there for every hour for 23 years listening to all of this, plus the work that I've been doing up into that time. And when we got deployed, actually, during the first Persian Gulf, when I was a commanding officer for a hospital unit up in, uh, you know, Orange County, uh, the, the, the event that took place was people came back and they said, wow, we weren't ready to be deployed. We have all kind of problems. And there are, there are various problems from divorces to suicides to people losing their businesses. And they said the, mil- the Army had no heart. And I said, well, you know, nobody was ready to be deployed. And this is the first time this happened. So I said, let's give the Army a heart. And I came up with the name of the Human Assistance Rapid Response Team. And that was a team made up of every single specialty that a human being has in their life, from from financial to legal to uh, psychological, uh, family support, uh, you know, everything, religious. And we put together over uh, a six-year period. That was part, that was one of the reasons we developed the Combat Stress Conference. The heart protocol, which is a 20-minute protocol, you can interview somebody in 20 minutes and they speak for themselves and their family and identify their readiness for deployment. And there's even an instance, there's even part of it where you can identify potential suicide ideation or homicide ideation. 20 minutes. Now, Bart, we need, to, we need to freeze your thoughts. Sorry to interrupt you, but I think that's such an important contribution. We need to just take a little snapshot of that and talk a little bit about it more more carefully. Uh, before we were on, you told me that, that that particular review piece, that questionnaire, is available on your website. It's not only in the book. The whole protocol is in the book, but it's also on the website, and it can be downloaded. 
so you could print it right off and you could utilize it as a readiness tool or you can modify some of the questions and use it as a reentry back into the civilian world after you've been deployed to determine if you're ready. And just go to my website. It's it's easy. It's www.bart, first name, B-A-R-T, middle initial P, like in Patrick, Billings, B-I-L-L-I-N-G-S dot com. And that, that was accepted at the Pentagon by 12 two-star generals, policy and planning people, in 1997 to be implemented military-wide. It became part of the DOD directive, the preventative part of the directive on combat stress. So it was all ready to go. Uh, It was utilized to a certain degree, but they never really assigned people to make sure it got implemented in the Army, Navy, Air Force, Coast Guard. So (laughs) I decided to put it in the book because the people who use it that we did the pilot projects with uh, really benefited from it. That is so interesting, and thank you so much for sharing that. And I'm, I'll have all that in the show notes, so it'll be real easy if somebody's just listening to this in their car. And you pop into Core Brain Journal, and we'll have it in your show notes at 013. Pardon me, <laughs> 031. So, uh, so tell us a little more about a programmatic approach, how you can do it without medication. Let's, let's break that down a little more for listeners so, so we can see how you're conceptualizing all the complexity that needs to be addressed. Well, when it's, it's kind of like what, what you do when you're when I was in physical medicine rehabilitation. You know, you get a patient in, uh, you know, when we saw somebody in the hospital, and we did a complete evaluation, physical and psychological, and we determined basically what they needed to do to get better. Same thing with a veteran who's come back. And one of the things I want to say, and I want to make this really clear, Post-traumatic stress is a normal reaction to being in an abnormal environment. So 99% of the people who go to combat experience post-traumatic stress to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. Now, whether or not they can figure on their own how to kind of get back in the civilian community, uh, or if they can't and it creates problems that interferes with their life, then it becomes a disorder. But a lot of what I say to veterans that I see as patients uh, for years since the 70s, and that's when I realize it is, you know, having nightmares is normal. There's nothing wrong with that. That's that's a normal reaction, being in an abnormal environment. And, you know, being hypervigilant, yep, that's a normal reaction because your, your, your autonomic nervous system, your sympathetic nervous system was designed for fight or flight to keep you alive. And when you come back in 24 hours, it doesn't mean that that system is going to switch right over. It's not. It's going to take some time. That's why a lot of our vets, and I have a story about a a vet I interviewed, 94-year-old guy from World War II, bomber pilot. He said when when he finished all of his missions and he survived them, and that was tragic because uh, they lost more uh, Army airmen uh, in World War II, and they lost Marines or sailors. So he was on combat stress on, on steroids, like he said. Mm. They sent him back for three months to North Carolina. Three months it took them to kind of unwind and get back to normal before they were discharged or moved back into another assignment. So you got to realize post-traumatic stress is a normal reaction being abnormal environment. When you tell a soldier this, it relieves them because... You know, in World War II, people were termed battle fatigue. Yes. 
And that really describes it. They were tired of fighting. They weren't called battle fatigue disorder. They yes. didn't leave with a psychiatric label that said there's something wrong with them. And that's the problem we're having today. So 99% of people go to combat have a degree of post-traumatic stress. Uh, and and a lot of them overcome it on their own. But the people, there are people, uh, obviously, that need a lot of help. And the situation doesn't help because you're back into your job on the military base within days after you're returning from combat. And in the book, I described the ideal transitional situations, how you can do what needs to be done so people won't be experiencing these problems or they'll figure it out on their own uh, with, with a little bit of help when they're making the transition from the battlefield or community. So there's so much there. Uh, traumatic brain injury. I mean, that's something that people don't realize. A lot of people have traumatic brain injury. Uh, they have, you know, vibroacoustic disorder, which is high-intensity, low-frequency vibration, damaging every cell in your body. I wrote an article on that for the Navy Medical Journal in 2002. And they're not screened for this, and they don't realize when you have uh, CTE or traumatic brain injury from combat, or, or vibroacoustic disease, uh, your potential, anything that the brain for committing suicide is four times more than the general population. Now, these people should be referred to a physiatrist for treatment, but what's happening most of the time, because the symptoms for, you know, for, for traumatic brain injury are agitation, you know, anxiety, depression, et cetera, they get referred to the wrong specialist. They get referred to a psychiatrist who 98% of the time, and I've interviewed a lot of VA psychiatrists, 98% of them medicate with brain-altering medications. Now, why would you want to give somebody who has a potential four times to commit suicide a black box brain-altering medication where the first warning is suicidality. That increases exponentially their chances of committing suicide. Four times what? Four times four, eight, 12, 16? Who knows? Bart, we've so seen that happen repeatedly. I started yeah. doing brain scans in 2003, and we'd have mm -hmm. people come in there who really de uh, demonstrated very clearly on brain scans that they had um, specific brain injury. And they had right. absolutely typical finding of very paradoxical, odd reactions to medications, frequently with suicidal ideation. And it was That's back right. then that I got onto it, but I had to actually see it in brain scans to come in the back door. Because to tell you the truth, in my practice, I was missing it because I didn't have somebody like you telling me how to get it right. Did you see the movie Concussion? Yes. Do you remember in the movie Webster... A uh, 50-year-old ex-Pittsburgh uh, Steeler football player who came into the team doctor, and he said, I don't know what's wrong with me. He was agitated. He was, you know, he started sleeping in the car. He couldn't think straight. And they said, well, you know, we did brain scans. Your brain looks normal, et cetera, et cetera. And this is something that was never discussed about the movie. The, the team doctor pulled out a syringe of Haldol, that's an antipsychotic and injected it in his arm to mm -hmm. calm him down. The, 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 the drug administration, the FDA, emergency room medical uh, journals, they say never inject Haldol, antipsychotic, intermuscular or IV because it can result in sudden cardiac death. What happened to Webster in the movie? 
The next day, he died from a heart attack that was never mentioned. Mm. So these medications have serious adverse effects besides suicide. I mean, here's a perfect example. And I tried calling the physician. Uh, he worked at UC Davis for a while. I left messages because I want to know if they did a tox screen for the hell doll. They, nobody ever mentions that. Mm. Well, there's so many. So, I mean, that whole screening process. But uh, you go ahead. I want to listen to you. It's it's not it's not right. I'm totally with you on that, and I'm so glad you're here and that we're talking about it. No. So it, then, what do you correct. do? So the, our our listeners, I'm sure, are like, okay, uh, you know, Dr. Billings. Well, what's next? We're, that's the problem. The the problem is pervasive. It's frequently misunderstood. Brain injury, specific stress disorders following combat. I should say stressful reactions, not stress disorders, but they they just are overlooked so frequently. So what does one do? How does how does one approach that problem? Okay. In in the book I list over thirty <coughs> excuse me. I list over thirty integrative treatment modalities. Thirty different ones, from guided imagery to hypnosis to um, biofeedback to Pilates to yoga to hyperbaric chambers, I list 30. So when that's what you do. When somebody comes in, you sit down and you, you do a complete physical first, like I said, make sure you know everything's okay. And then you say, okay, what do you need? Well, I'm having nightmares. Okay, there's a treatment modality listed in the book for nightmares. Actually, one of the, the oldest treatments for nightmares is, I believe it's an old Navajo uh, cure, which is uh, having people basically redream the dream and having it wind up positive. And I've worked with patients, and within a couple of sessions, their nightmares go away. Do you do so, that guide, as a guided imagery practice? With a, yeah, 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 mm-hmm. exactly. Um, and there's there's people that do that. But like I said, there's a list of over 30. So if somebody comes in and they're gaining weight like crazy, so I'm going to have them, I'm going to, here's your program. Uh, I see you're limping. Yeah, I hurt my leg. Okay, I'm going to have you go see a physical therapist. Uh, I'm going to have you do some hydrotherapy. I'm going to have you, uh, you're gaining weight, so I'm going to have you see a nutritionist. Uh, I'm going to do counseling. I'm going to do peer counseling. There's a group that we have. And I'm going to set up an individualized wellness program for you. Yes. I don't even call it treatment. I, you know, mm-hmm. you can call it individualized treatment program. But, you know, a lot of people like, well, this is a wellness program. And you set it up, and it's individual for everybody. And what we're going to do is we're going to meet on a regular basis, and I'm going to be talking with the people you're working with, see how you're doing. You know, you may be doing so well with, let's say, uh, the, the, the aqua, aqua therapy or your swimming. Uh, I might, we might move you to a higher level class, or you may be having a dif- difficult time with the body vibe exercise aerobics program. It might be too much for you, and we'll move you to a, a lesser stressful program. So what you're doing is you're constantly in touch with them. You're monitoring their progress with the people who are seeing them on a regular basis for the treatment. And, you know, you're saying, well, you know, you're losing weight. This is great. The nutritional program is working. Uh, you know, instead of seeing her once a week, maybe see her once a month. Uh, and so that's kind of the the, the way of, of getting through it. It's, it's an attempt. Well, it's a program, not an attempt, but it's a real program that works to get 
people back to their psychological and physiological functioning in our community, in our society, and having them realize what's normal. I mean, people don't understand that if you are in an abnormal situation, it that gets stored. That memory gets stored in your brain. It doesn't go away. And I, I the first chapter of the book I talked about when I was 18, coming home at 12 o'clock at night and the car in front of me got broadsided and two people were ejected through the windshield. And, you know, talking about being a Boy Scout, I get out, I was going to help them. And they had no faces. And they were dead. And that was a terrible situation. Well, that was 50 years ago. And when I'm going back to Pennsylvania next week, when I drive down Greenridge Street and I cross over that corner of Wyoming Avenue, I'm going to still remember that. Oh, yeah. Does that mean I have post-traumatic stress disorder? No. It means that you know, that was a normal reaction, and it's in my mind, and it's not going away. And I accept that fact. But I don't let it interfere with my life. Well, you know, I think one of the things that you're saying, and I'm just going to say it slightly differently. You said it so eloquently, Bart, but I want to just say that it's the complexity. It's the biomedical complexity of both the body and the mind and the varieties of things that the mind is dealing with from relationships all the way down to uh, medical, physical problems as well. I mean, the whole exactly. complexity is what you're talking about. I'm so much looking forward to reading it. Yeah, it, you have to do that. I, I did an expert witness work for a for a, a veteran uh, who went into the VA hospital, and there was absolutely nothing wrong with this guy psychologically because he was in a very high security position. They they did a psych, uh, you know, eval monthly on him, and he but he flew in high intensity, low frequency, vibratory environment, an airplane, which was doing surveillance, electronic warfare, stuff like that. The results of that, and again, I wrote an article in the Navy Medical Journal. I don't know how many physicians in the Navy or anybody else read it because they're not evaluating for it. But the guy goes into the VA, the symptoms from vibroacoustic disease is vascular lesions, pericardium thickening, GI problems is one of the major problems. He goes into the VA and they said, you okay? Because you have to go when you retire, you bring your medical records. And they said, he said, yeah, fine, except I have a little GI problem. And right away before you knew it, they diagnosed him as having post-traumatic stress disorder with the GI problem. Uh, they started him on psychiatric medications. He spent 15 years in the VA. Eight of those years, he was medicated so heavily in psych meds, he was in a wheelchair. It wasn't until he finally realized and somebody guided him, you got to detox all this. He paid over $30,000 going into a private detox unit in Arizona. He detoxed. He went in that unit in a wheelchair. He walked out and he hasn't been on any of those psychiatric meds since. That's the kind of stuff we have to we have to make people aware of that. Take a look, you know, learn what vibroacoustic disease is instead of misdiagnosing with a psychiatric disorder. A lot of this stuff is just physical and it's something that you have to understand and work with and put them in a proper treatment program. Well, you know, Bart, I hope we can get that reference from you and put it in the show notes. Uh, because that would be it's totally interesting, and uh, it's something that if you don't know about it, you're going to miss it. And that's the reason to do these journal yeah, notes. Yeah, two, 2002, January, February, Navy Medicine, the sound you feel can be hazardous to your health. I'm writing it down. 
We'll do it. Thank you very much. So let's let's take a few more moments here. We're just zooming away with time. What was what was the transition for you that really drove you into this whole uh, exploration of these challenging issues? What what turned you around and put you into it? Well, when I when I got a commission in the army, uh, you know, I got a direct commission as a psychologist and. Uh, uh, I wound up spending some time, like I mentioned, that tripler, and they invited me. And at that time, I was uh, really involved teaching a little bit reality therapy, choice theory psychology. And they said, "Oh, come on in, come on in. You're a vet. You know, you're you're in the military. You're here as a veteran." I was there as a reserve officer, so they said, "You know, could you do some workshops? Could you visit our programs? Could you do some consultations?" And I'll never forget sitting in with a group. Of Vietnam vets, they were out, uh, but they still were wearing bits and pieces of their uniform, and they were in a group therapy session. And I sat in, and I said, "These guys don't realize that that they need to move on with their life, and what they experience is a normal reaction uh, to combat, and they have to understand that." And that's that's what got me involved with it. And then the more and more I started doing that and seeing veterans. And then when I was the hospital commanding officer and my whole hospital was deployed and they came back uh, and there were all kind of problems, I said, okay, uh, we got we to gotta, we gotta turn this thing around. And that's when I started that combat stress conference. So that's, that's when it happened. I mean, uh, that's when actually I said, you know, we got to do something about this. And it's been a battle. It's been an uphill battle. And then one of the things that over 23 years we realized that brain-altering psychiatric medications were not working for our veterans. Actually, they were causing more trouble than than they were worth. I, I didn't see. I can count on one hand if, <laughs> that many, a few, who said, "Oh, you know, I really benefited from the psychiatric drugs." I had I didn't see that at all, and neither did people coming in who were in combat. And then when I realized that they were giving people drugs on the battlefield, they were giving people 180 days supply, you hear veterans saying, well, we called in, we were in Afghanistan, and we called in for, but we were freezing at night, and we wanted something to keep, you know, so we could sleep, give us some, give us some equipment so we can get the night's sleep without being so cold. And instead of getting blankets and coats, they got boxes of antipsychotic medication saying, take this and it'll help you sleep. Well, you know, Bart, I have to tell you, as a civilian, and I haven't been out in any of the fronts that you've been in, but one of the reasons we're even doing Core Brain Journal is because we see this in civilian practice. Even, yes, we're in a military town, but even people who haven't had the combat stress experience that we're talking about here. And we see medications just work terribly if we don't really look at the biomedical complexity of the human being and it winds up being a waste of time and people are treatment failures and they they blame themselves for being a treatment failure because they're taking the medication they're doing the right thing their doctor does care about them is trying to do the right thing from his perspective but i think we need to look at this whole situation in a much from a much larger perspective and really think about the consequences of not understanding the complexity it's amazing. Yeah, the book the book is not just for military. The the book, Invisible Scars, everybody has invisible scars. And how you deal with them is, is critical. Matter of fact, I had uh an attorney who I know from church 
uh, we talked about this, and he got the book. He read the book because his son, who was never in the military, uh, hurt his back, and they, they gave him all kinds of pain meds and uh, antidepressants. And he said, I, I, I'm losing my son. He's, he's, he's not my son anymore. I don't recognize him. And after they read the book and we talked about it, uh, he came to me one day and he said, uh, uh, you didn't write a book. And I said, what did I write? I mean, I thought I wrote a book. Uh, I got five-star reviews on Amazon, and people think it's a good book. I thought he was going to criticize it. He said, no, no, I'm not criticizing. He said, you didn't write a book. You wrote a guide to saving lives, and thanks for giving me my son back. So that's what that's what it's about. It's yeah, about, you know, about. people people in our society they experience problems and and they have to know how to deal most effectively with problems and a lot of problems are traumatic whether you have a, a heart you know a heart attack or car accident there, there's a lot of unusual things uh, that aren't part of our lives that happen to us and this talks about how to best deal with them well i want to thank you very much you know this this has been such an interesting conversation bart and I wanted to just uh, give you just a minute or two here in wrapping up to uh, if you have any punctuation points at the close, if you have a period here, a specific thing. Yes, we're going to have your book here. We're going to have all those references on the book. I'm going to do what I can to, to put together the, uh, the specific references that you've given. But what would you say in closing, if you were to sort of take a, a, a big picture view and say, where should we go with this? What would you like to see happen from your perspective? Well, I would like I would like people to take a look at whatever happens to them in terms of uh, you know physical, psychological, and even just daily living, and and take a look and say you know what 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 can I do to get me out of this situation or to improve my life? I mean, you got to look at it realistically and say okay what are what, what is going on how, how much of this is normal you know what i'm experiencing and what can i do to get back to my my normal mm-hmm. uh, per se and you, you have to look at it one of the things you want to look at is okay the integrative treatment protocols and i'm not saying medicine is bad there's there's great medicines that keep people alive, et cetera. Yes. I have no use at all for psychiatric meds because I don't think they work. There's no proof they work, and their adverse reactions are awful black box warnings. But whatever medicine you get, Google the name of the medicine and put down adverse reaction after it and really read because you can have, you can have psychotic uh, reactions to an anti- antibiotic. You know, so just be careful of what you put into your system uh, and what medications the doctors are giving you and make sure that you know what the side effects are and the adverse reactions. And when you put down adverse reactions, you might want to type in the same thing in their black box adverse reactions because that's the worst of the worst when it has a black box warning. So that's, you know, that's my advice to people is be careful. You know, I, I have a saying and I've said this to my patients forever, and there's only two things that'll get you in trouble in this world if you don't watch what you're doing, what you put in your mouth, and what comes out of your mouth. (laughs) 
So true. And you know what you really said is we all have to take a much more active role in what we're doing instead of passively sitting back and just taking whatever comes our way and assuming the complexity is taken care of by one or two things because complexity is not one or two things. And That's taking, right. taking that active role is, is so, so important. Bart, That's thank right. you very much. We're going to have the, uh, your book available for a drawing at uh, corebrainjournal.com uh, forward slash 031 drawing. And we really appreciate you taking the time. I'm looking forward to having you back sometime down the road. Congratulations on the award this weekend. It should be a really special occasion for you and your family. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Corebrain Journal. We're working every day behind the scenes to bring you reports that connect research benches with those street trenches. Here we share the complexity of mind science because, as you know, details really do matter. One of the most pervasive, misunderstood challenges is how commonplace medications, like those written for ADHD, are used so regularly without clear guidelines. If you think you'd like more specifics, take a minute to download my two-page PDF packed with video links and references on the absolute essentials of how to start ADHD medications. They're easily available at corebrainjournal.com forward slash start. Thanks for listening. Do connect and stay tuned. Together we can make a difference.